Welcome back, everyone, to the Chaos Ball Podcast Divisional Preview Season Rolls On. Last week, the AL Central Preview. This week, we got two. We, I say we, like it's not just me doing this. I have two more for you this week. Today is Tuesday. The next podcast will likely be Friday. It'll be Friday or Saturday, most likely Friday. Uh, But today, we're focusing on the lovely division out east, the National League East Division. I've determined this to be... So I did the AL Central first, rationale-wise, was because I deemed it the division likely with the least free agent movement for the rest of the offseason with the big free agents. I was going to hold off on the NL Central for a while, but I might end up doing that next week because I was basically just waiting for the Cubs to do something, and they signed Cody Bellinger. So that's at least one free agent off the table. And Jordan Montgomery and Blake Snell and Matt Chapman, I guess, are the three big ish players left I guess JD Martinez and a couple other guys but I am doing the NL East today because I don't really see it as super likely that any of those three guys go to any of these teams to be honest like I mean the Mets potentially because Kodai Senga just got hurt but they have already spent so much money like maybe they do just throw a bag at Jordan Montgomery and Blake Snow and make me look foolish. But I'm going to do the NL East anyway, because at least the other teams, I don't really see the other teams forking over the money for these free agents, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, and then I will be doing the AL West on this week. So Friday or Saturday, the AL West preview. Without the Mariners, the Mariners have their own. That will be the last preview. So the AL West will just be four teams, a little bit shorter of a podcast. Probably. I can't promise anything for you, but let's just crack into it. Let's just get cracking on the NL East. And we're going to start, as I like to do, with the projected worst team in this division, the Atlanta Britain. I'm just kidding. The Washington Baseball Nationals. The Washington Nationals. What did they do last year? Actually, not as bad of a season as people expected them to have last year. Uh, I feel like I took the under on their win total last year. It was in the 60s, and they ended up winning 71 games, which was a honestly great success for the team that they threw out there most of the year. They went 71 and 91, and their Pythagorean record was 67 and 95. And this was good enough to eh, still get last in the division. The Mets were close. The Mets were close to them. And if the Nationals passed the Mets, oh boy. Uh, but no, they did not. They still took last in what was, I mean, this is a tough division. You got some good teams in here, uh, but they really weren't good. I think there were a couple good things to take away from the team last year that I'll get into. But this season, what are they projected at? Uh, according to Pakoda, they were projected to go 58-104. and 104. Pakoda really doesn't like them with a 0% chance for playoff odds. I've noticed in fan graphs, even the worst teams, and you'll see with even this team, Fangraphs generally gives teams even a little bit. Like, they're giving the Nationals 0.3. Zips is giving them 0.3% to make the playoffs. Pakoda just says, nah, nah, fuck that. 
Zero. You're not making the playoff, pal. Uh, and you'll see. I don't even. I don't think they give a, a hundred percent, but they've given zeros, and they're kind of ruthless. That that system. Uh, Fangraphs is projecting him to go sixty-six and ninety-six. So a full eight more wins. Fangraphs is projecting them to have than Pakota, which is a pretty considerable margin. Uh, I think the biggest margin that we've seen so far, because the biggest margin from both projection systems uh, last time out was, I think, the Royals, and it was six wins. So eight wins, pretty substantial difference there. Uh, But still, the high end of their projection is 66 wins. That's not good. That's essentially the same team as last year. And, I mean, I can see why. The free agents that they lost, not a whole lot of, I mean... Not a lot of stuff here. They lost Carl Edwards Jr., relief pitcher, which they've somewhat replaced in the in the bullpen. Uh, Michael Chavis, the ice horse, who is uh, assigned a minor league deal with the Mariners. Chad Cool, Dominic Smith, Corey Dickerson. I mean, Corey Dickerson, I guess, played a decent amount last year. Victor Arano, another relief pitcher. And they added a couple of free agents. Actually, don't hate the free agent additions that they made. They added Joey Gallo, Dylan Floro, relief pitcher, who... Dylan Floro has been a very stable and consistent relief pitcher for the past like four or five years, I feel like. Uh, Without even looking at his stats, I feel like he's just been a good reliever for a while, Uh, which makes me think he's going to be bad for this national team because, boy, relievers can crumble quickly. Uh, And then the only other major league contract they signed this offseason was Nick Senzel, uh, a former top prospect of the Reds who... Started to play a little bit better baseball the last couple of years. Really was a disappointing prospect coming up with the Reds. Uh, but he's more or less a utility man who is slated to be their starting third baseman this year, which is kind of bleak. Uh, but he's basically become a utility man. He can kind of play all the outfield positions and third base now. Maybe they'll sign Matt Chapman. That would be very funny if they'll sign Matt Chapman. Uh, but what does their lineup look like? And they made no trades. They made zero trades this offseason, which is great for me. It's a little bit less work. Uh, but lineup-wise, Fangraphs is projecting their lineup as follows, 1 through 9. C.J. Abrams at shortstop, Lane Thomas in right field, Joey Gallo in left field, Joey Manessis at first base, Jesse Winker, bad and fifth, hit at the DH spot. Kybert Ruiz at catcher, Nick Senzel at third base, Luis Garcia at second base, and Victor Robles in center field. That is not very good. That is just simply not a very good lineup, I will say it. The highlights. If you need a reason to turn on the Nationals, uh, C.J. Abrams. Really, that's one of my big questions this year is can C.J. Abrams take a big leap? And he is my 2024 X factor for the Nationals. He had a really good second half last year. He kind of muddled along in the first half and looked more like the C.J. Abrams we had seen make his debut. And then in the second half, he really had a solid, solid second half of the year at the plate. He started to walk more, strike out less. He started hitting the ball with more power to the pull side, which is a super good sign. Like the pull side power specifically was really, really impressive from him because he's not that big of a guy and he's really fast. And so if he can add that pull side pop to his game, that like raises his ceiling 
tremendously for the amount of speed that he provides on the base path. And he is, I mean, he's projected to have the most war on this, uh, in this, on this entire team, actually with two and a half, which is tells you a lot about this team. Uh, but I think he's definitely the one to watch. You look at his numbers last year overall, pretty underwhelming, but again, very good second half. Another guy who had a good second half with a little bit of a smaller sample who's not on the projected starting lineup is elite name alert, Stone Garrett. Stone Garrett, I think, has the opportunity to be the best hitter on this team, to be honest with you. I don't, he's an outfielder and he is hurt right now. So the reason he's not on the opening day lineup is he is currently hurt. I don't know how much spring training he's going to play. To be honest with you, it was like his ankle. I think he's ramping up to play, and I don't I don't know if there's much more news on like he's ramping up to play in spring training soon. So hopefully he'll be on the opening day lineup. But I think now Jesse Winker's a starting DH. I I just think they should start Stone Garrett there. I mean he just even the full full sample of last season, 89 games, 30% strikeout rate, very high, t- around 10% walk rate, but a 115 WRC plus, he showed some pop. He had nine home runs in those 89 games. I just feel like they're, they're better off, and I think Stone Garrett is just going to take the DH role, uh, but I'm sure he'll play the corners. I don't think he's particularly good defensively in the corners, but... They don't have a whole lot of, you know, like I think he'll probably play a decent amount of left field uh, with Joey Gallo out there as well. What doesn't help Stone Garrett uh, is the fact that they signed Joey Gallo to a major league contract where Jesse Winker is on a minor league deal. So that's why I feel like DH could be the spot for him, but... If they want to do full platoon in left field with Joey Gallo and Stone Gary, he's a right-handed hitter, they could do that. I just I like his bat. His projections for this year are fairly they're good. Well, are they good? No. They're they're modest. They don't really believe in him, but I feel like he's a pretty good hitter. He had a good second half. I don't know. There's something about him. I feel like I'm just eating the garbage because he has a fun name. Uh, and then the other offensive piece here I'll talk about, I guess. I mean, Kybert Ruiz is a very weird catcher. He's a very hit tool catcher. Like, he's a potential hitting for average guy with not a whole lot of power. And I don't think his defense is that great. Uh, or great. It doesn't grade out well. Uh, and then I do like Lane Thomas. Lane Thomas in right field. I think his he has been the best hitter on this team past couple years, probably two years. I mean, last year he posted a 109 WRC plus, which is like fine. He just, uh, he strikes out a little over league average, doesn't walk a whole lot, but when he hits the ball, he hits it really hard, which I just like those type of hitters. So if he can manage to uh, walk more, I don't even think he needs to cut his strikeout, right? He's kind of a, a Julio E type of hitter where he'll, he'll, he'll strike out a lot. I'd love to see more walks from him. But when he hits the ball, he hits it really hard. He hits it very hard. Uh, and he has a decent amount of speed to steal bases. He stole 20 last year, 28 home runs in 157 games. Like, I think he's just a good hitter, good solid hitter. And I like Lane Thomas. Uh, just if he, like, like, he could be a legitimately great player if he gets on base a little bit more. 
because uh, the way he impacts the baseball is is good for what he is right now, and he's still very young. A lot of this team is is quite young. Uh, I mean, Lane Thomas is he's 28, but he's still on his rookie deal. I think he's just hit arbitration. And that is kind of the offense. The only other players I have questions about are prospects from the offensive standpoint. Like one of my questions for this team is Dylan Cruz and James Wood. Do we see them at all this season? Like I would assume we'll see them in September no matter what because I don't think this team's going to be good. But do we see them earlier than that? Like if either of them just rake in the minors for the first month or two of the season – there's not a whole lot of guys like in front of them in the outfield. I mean, you have like like Victor Robles can play center field well. He's not good at the plate at all. I don't know if Dylan Cruz is really going to be a center fielder, but why not try him out there? James Wood would probably be more of a corner guy. Um, I'm sure a lot of you know Dylan Cruz. He was so famous last year leading up to the draft just in college. Uh, but James Wood is of the O'Neill Cruz Ellie De La Cruz mold. He is like 6'6", huge lefty bat, huge power. Just looks like, again, like it's hard not to compare him to O'Neill Cruz, uh, but they play different positions, shortstop compared to corner outfield. I don't really know what the consensus is on James Wood's defense in the outfield. To be honest with you, I think it's like okay, and if he can hit as as well like if his power is legitimately like 80 grade if he can live up to the power hitting hype doesn't matter what his defense looks like at all uh honestly like i think his ceiling is like elite elite bat like yordan level bat and do we see them this year i hope so i'm i'm assuming in september we will but We'll see. And then moving on to the very underwhelming, uh, honestly, I think the the offense is better. Oh, the offense, the last thing I'll say about the offense, not a lot of walks in this offense. All of these guys, except for like Jesse Winker, are going to post sub-league average walk rates and a lot of contact. So the Nationals are, I feel like they're attempting to build a dead ball era type of offense, which is a bold choice in the year 2024, but whatever you do yo and the pitching honestly it's not good i mean josiah gray is not he's josiah gray mckenzie gore the one two and those guys are the four five maybe you can convince me mckenzie gore is a three starter on some teams Uh, they're not they're not very good i like josiah gray i'll be honest i like him i just he's not an ace i feel like he's a solid big league pitcher Uh, And Mackenzie Gore, you were hoping to see a little bit more from him last year after being one of the biggest guys to get back in the Soto deal, along with Abrams from uh, the Padres. And he was just mediocre last year. I think his stuff looks pretty good. I think this is a key year for him. He pitched a lot last year at a very league average clip. So you're hoping to see him take some sort of step this year. The projections like him to be a little bit better than league average as a pitcher this year. So I hope he can be that. His stuff is pretty good. I just, uh, I want to see him be a good pitcher. And then after that, it's Jake Irvin, Patrick Corbin, and Trevor Williams, which I just, 
I mean, I, I, Jake Irvin, I is a, is he a rookie? Is he a rookie? I don't know much about Jake Irvin. Uh, I no, he's not. He was a rookie last year. I didn't know if he pitched enough last year, and he he did. Uh, I uh, I don't have much to say about Jake Irvin, and then Patrick Corbin. You know him as one of the worst uh, free agent deals of all time. Probably he's he's oh, he's cooked. And Trevor Williams, same same deal. Older. I feel like he's cooked. Not going to provide much besides innings. And then you get to the bullpen. They have like two, two solid relievers, maybe. Like Dylan Floro. I just feel like the, I feel like the collapse is coming. Uh, and the fact that they signed him maybe speaks to other teams didn't didn't want to touch him. But again, he's been for like four years now, five years since the, his Dodgers days. He's been a pretty solid relief pitcher with a good amount of innings of work. And really solid output. Uh, his raw stats didn't look great last year, but the peripherals did. So maybe Dylan Floro continues his pitching well and gets traded at the deadline. That's probably the best case scenario for him. And then Hunter Harvey is really good. Hunter Harvey is a really good relief pitcher that I don't think a lot of people know about because he's on the Washington Nationals. He was has, for the past two years, has been really solid for this team. I mean... Let's see what's he what's he averaging out at like the past two years 10k per nine with like two two and a half walks per nine which is really good for a relief pitcher. Last year he posted a two eight two ERA. The year before a two five two with FIPS of three three four and three four, uh, respectively. Just a really solid relief pitcher. Uh, really really good high velocity fastball and just a really solid relief pitcher. And he's. Entering his later stages of arbitration, so if he continues his good pitching, do they hold on to him? Do they extend him? Do they trade him? They could probably get a decent amount trading him at the deadline, just thinking about it. Uh, and then Kyle Finnegan, the other like solid, I would say, relief pitcher here. As much as you can say a relief pitcher is solid, like Kyle Finnegan has been a good enough relief pitcher the past couple of years on this Nationals team. Another guy I could see them just trading if they're really bad at the deadline and those guys are pitching well. Uh, that I don't have much else to say about this Washington Nationals team. They're underwhelming. Like my questions are: Do we see Cade Cavalli at all post Tommy John surgery? He was a former top pitching prospect for them. I I don't know. He had TJ last at the start of last year, so I hope we see him this year. He his upside is is pretty good. I don't know about after TJ, but his upside is is enticing. Uh, and then this team was like a, almost a 500 team crazy enough in the second half of last season was that for real i don't know i don't i don't think so to be honest but i feel like a lot of it kind of hinges on development of cj abrams kyber ruiz mckenzie gore like can lane thomas just continue being a good hitter i don't know uh, the the floor is is low on this team the upside is 70 70 ish wins maybe um they're over under According to DraftKings is 66 and a half, and I'm just going to safely take the under here on 66 and a half and call it a day for the Washington Nationals. So that's that. Let's move on to the next team projected to get fourth in this competitive, competitive division. The Miami Marlins, one of the weirder teams of 2023, I would say, just had a... 
I guess you could call it a fun differential type of year. Uh, they ended up 84 and 78. And if you recall, they took third in this division. They were a wild card team. They lost the wild card to the Phillies, but I mean, they got to the playoffs. Their Pythagorean record was 75 and 87, uh, which all year they were winning extra inning games and one run games constantly. Like, I think they lost one extra inning game last year and then they went seven and three in extra innings. I feel like they lost those three extra inning games in September. That's what it felt like. It felt like they couldn't lose a one run game or an extra inning game. Uh, they went 33 and 14 in one run games, a 70% win percentage in one run games, which is uh, absurd. I don't think it was completely luck, to be honest. I think it is a little bit how this team is constructed, and it's not super different this season. Uh, just looking at it, it's a team with there's some upside in this offense. I think it's I think it's pretty pretty balanced at the top of this lineup. But the class of this team last year and going into this year is the pitching, uh, both the rotation and the bullpen is the absolute class of this team. I think this is the best pitching staff in the division. I'll say it. I'm not afraid to say it. I think their pitching staff is better than the Braves. Well, well, maybe, maybe. I I, I haven't thought this through. That was off the dome. Uh, but my point is, it's really good pitching staff, and it was really good last season. And the key, the key missing piece in this year is Sandy Alcantara. Alcantara? Alcantara? There's many ways to say his name, but the point is they will be without him all year. He got Tommy John at the end of last year, which really sucks. Um, but even like he, he won his Cy Young. And then last year he was... Still, he threw a lot of innings. It wasn't quite as good as 2021 or 2022. Uh, still, he had a really solid year, um, but it wasn't the Cy Young type we had expected from this year, and his peripherals honestly matched his raw numbers, so I don't think he really got super unlucky. I think he was he just gave up a lot more home runs this year. He walked a little bit more guys. Uh, his like velocity and stuff didn't change, but got Tommy John. So he will be missing out on the 2023 season. But I mean, you just heard what I said. I still think this pitching staff is really, really good. And even without him, I think it's going to be a really tough, really tough rotation and bullpen to get through game by game for anyone playing this team. But getting ahead of myself, what are their projections? They, are projected to go 80 and 82 on Fangraphs and Pakoda. There's an agreement. Now, I say this, Pakoda does do uh, decimals, so I round up generally. Um, so, theoretically, they are projected to go 80.3 and 81.7, according to Pakoda. And then Fangraphs does the same thing, and I round up. And on Fangraphs, 80.4 to 81.6. So 
they disagree by a, uh, a, a tenth. So that's as much of a consensus as you're going to find between these computers. And they weren't especially active this offseason. They made a couple trades this offseason that, I mean, aren't, they're not super moving the needle type of trades, but they made a couple trades at the deadline last year that uh, will inform what their team looks like well, this year because they traded for Jake Berger and Josh Bell. Uh, and both of those guys will be a vital part of this lineup again, a very integral part of this lineup this year if they want to make the playoffs again, and I think they definitely can. I think when your team is projected to be mid, I think that's not the end of the world because it's baseball, and anything can happen. I think there's a couple key factors that could really determine that with this team, but I think... I think the floor of the team is high by virtue of the pitching staff. And the hitters aren't bad. There, there's a lot. There's plenty of upside here, but I think obviously their, their weak point is the offense. And I don't know especially how they're going to address it. I mean, I, I'm wondering, one of my big questions is, will they be buyers again at the deadline? Uh, they would have probably have to trade from their pitching because they really don't have the prospects to to do it there according to Keith Law their farm ranking is 28th which is not that's not good if you don't know there's 30 teams in major league baseball so being 28th and something is not not good really uh but it's it's an interesting team top down here's how their lineup reads uh Luis Arise leading off at second base. Tim Anderson, who they recently signed, they have him at starting shortstop. Josh Bell at first base. Jake Berger at third base. Josh Chisholm in center field. Brian De La Cruz in left field. Jesus Sanchez in right field. Avisail Garcia at the DH spot. And Nick Fortes at catcher. That is an okay lineup. I think the one through one through five is good. I think Arias, well, I don't know. Tim Anderson... Who genuinely, who knows? Uh, but like Arias, Bell, Berger, Chisholm is a pretty decent four to have in the top of your lineup somewhere. And then Brian De La Cruz and Jesus Sanchez. Brian De La Cruz didn't exactly build on the strong opening he had in 2022. Uh, and I predicted last year he was going to have a really big breakout year, and he didn't really. He had a okay year, essentially league average at the plate. And then Jesus Sanchez also is another guy who I think has a good amount of upside and can provide them hopefully uh, some more power than he did last year. He has a tremendous amount of raw power, uh, only hit 14 home runs last year in 125 games. I just would expect more power from him, to be honest. Like, he's just a very big dude. And I expect more than 14 home runs. I think there's plenty of upside here. I think this offense is full of upside. I think you know what Luis Arise is. Uh, absolute unicorn player. Good leadoff hitter. You know he's going to hit for average and not chase pitches and not whiff on pitches. Tim Anderson, I think it's it's fine for them. It's fine for a team to take a flyer out on Tim Anderson. Like, hey, maybe change the scenery. He can recapture his his form uh but for a team like the marlins who are seemingly trying to like make the playoffs or win baseball games again 
like they did last year. I don't know how I feel about that, uh, at, of him being slated as their everyday shortstop with no real good backup unless they no they would I mean they wouldn't move Josh Chisholm to short stop probably not they have like John Birdie and Vidal Brujan who they got from the Rays in a trade this offseason who former top prospects one of the, one of the Rays top prospects who hasn't exactly lived up to the hype just yet I just don't shortstop is I feel like it's just going to be a hole for them this year if Tim Anderson can play good defense and they can hit him at the back of the lineup I think that is fine, uh, but I do think it's at least intriguing to have him hit at the top of the lineup with Luis Arias because that could potentially give you three or two like three hundred average hitters at the top of your lineup, which is pretty unique in today's game. I I would say, and then Josh Bell and Jake Berger as some some thumpers behind those guys, and then Jazz Chisholm is slated into hit fifth, and he is my. 2024 X factor for the Marlins because he's just been somewhat underwhelming uh, in terms of the expectations that are placed upon him. He's projected for a 2.6 war season, perfectly fine, perfectly slightly above average season. That's what he's projected at. I He's the X factor because if, if he blossoms into an elite player this season and puts up four a four five war season like a top 30 season in uh baseball i think that could really propel this team to the playoffs i think the lineup is good enough uh and he is obviously the one with the biggest upside here de la cruz and jesus sanchez right behind him with plenty of upside and then the other hole in this lineup is dh i would expect josh bell to dh a little bit with arias playing first base but then that leaves a hole at second where like maybe they try out Vidal Brujan for a little bit there. I don't I don't really know. Um that's a hole because I don't expect really anything out of Avisel Garcia at the plate in twenty twenty four. So that is potentially a position they might address. And they don't really have any I don't think they really have any guys like ready to make their major league debut who are supposed to be uh really like good hitters who can slot in the DH. Like they have Max Meyer, who's a pitcher, who's probably their, he's their second ranked prospect. Who's the closest to the majors. Like Victor Mesa, he's an outfielder. I just don't, I don't know where the reinforcements are coming from this offense. And that is a big flaw in this team is the depth of the offense as well. Uh, And then to round out the offense on the end, Nick Fortes is not a good offensive player at all, but he's a very good defensive catcher. He's in well, He's a, he's a good defensive catcher, kind of a weird defensive catcher. He's a good pitch framer, not like one of the best, but he's an above-average pitch framer, an elite blocker, which I think plays honestly really well into the rotation of absolute flamethrowers, and a few of them don't exactly know where it's going all the time. So I feel like he's the perfect catcher for this team, and they don't need him to hit. They know what he is. They're not going to expect him to hit. He's going to be in the nine-hole really good catching this pitching staff and that's all they're going to need from him. Uh, but moving on from the offense, the pitching staff, again, like I talked about is where, where this team is going to shine. Uh, they have it. Fangraphs has it organized into, uh, the ACE Jesus Lazardo, then Yuri Perez, the young unicorn who's like 
seven feet tall. Then Braxton Garrett, Edward Cabrera, and Trevor Rogers. The one, two, three here, Jesus Lazardo, Yuri Perez, Braxton Garrett is nasty with the tremendous amount of upside. Jesus Lazardo really has come into his own from getting traded from the A's uh, as a as a up-and-coming young pitcher. Yuri Perez, we saw last year, they really limited his innings last year, but in the innings he pitched, he was super promising and I think has unlimited upside as a pitcher. One of my key questions this season for this team is, is like, can Yuri take over uh, Lazardo as the ace of the squad? Like, he might. I think the sky's the limit for this guy. And then Braxton Garrett, who I feel like is not super well-known nationally. Again, I think it's one of those things where he plays on the Marlins, so it makes sense. But uh, had just got better from 2022 to 2023. Uh, pitched more innings. Looked really good. Is not the mold of this uh, rotation. He doesn't throw super hard, but his stuff's really nice. Uh, good command on his pitches. Doesn't really walk a lot of guys. And then the back of this rotation is what's interesting to me. Edward Cabrera, a young arm. Uh, he's a rookie last year. And his stuff is insane. His stuff is absolutely electric. He just has no, no idea where it's going. Uh, I... I hope he can he can find some command because his stuff is so nice. I mean, he wasn't even that bad of a pitcher last year. He threw 100 innings, 4.24 ERA, which is right around like league average for uh, a rookie. That's not bad. I, I, was he rookie eligible last year? He pitched enough in 2022. Maybe he wasn't. But either way, young pitcher. He's 25. Uh, really, really nice fastball slider combination. Uh, he just walked 15% of the batters he faced last year and struck out 27. So if he can get that down to like 10 and keep the K rate where it is, perfectly good for starter with a lot of upside. And then Trevor Rogers, uh, that's another one of my big questions here is can Trevor Rogers recapture the magic he had in 2021? In 2021, he was 133 innings of Cy Young level nasty pitching 2.64 ERA 133 innings 4.3 F war Uh, and then the last two years he's been hurt he was hurt essentially all of last year Uh, and when he was healthy pitching in 2022 he was not he was fine he he was not great the peripherals looked a lot better than his, his his output and then in the 18 innings he threw last season he looked okay. Um, Fangraphs was projecting him for a very modest, like two war season. I he could have been the X factor because if he pitches anywhere close to what he did in 2021 with like 150 innings, it could legit be a top five rotation in the game. If Lazardo, Perez, Garrett, Cabrera all kind of trend upward as they have been the past couple of years. And then the the bullpen. I don't want to focus. I don't want to get bogged down on too many specifics. But uh, they have three really solid relievers. AJ Puck, who also came over like Lazardo from the A's, and and he full time relief pitcher last year, struck out a ton of guys, uh, was really good. The peripherals looked really nice, and then you pair that with another left. All three of these really good relievers are lefties. Funny enough, Andrew Nardi, 
uh, really solid year for them last year and another another guy that just you hope can continue being good. He had a really, really good year last year. It's relievers are are you know, they're fickle. Uh, but this guy he's young too. He came up in twenty twenty two, uh first like full season as a reliever in the big leagues last year, uh, and he looked really nice, two point six seven ERA and fifty seven innings pitched. And then the class of this bullpen who is I safe to say one of the, I don't know, one of the best relievers in baseball. He was one of the best relievers in baseball last year. That is Tanner Scott, another lefty, insanely good fastball, like a a, a good slider to pair with it. But his fastball is disgusting. And he had two point eight WAR as a relief pitcher last year. Seventy eight innings pitched as a reliever. Uh, 2.31 ERA with a 2.17 FIP. Just a crazy good year last year. You'd expect him to be maybe not as good this year. If he is as good, that's that's wild. But I think you can at least expect him to have another good year this year and be one of the better back-end bullpen options in the game. And then uh, they had solid production from JT Chargois last year. Go Mariners. Uh, they're, they project to get decent contributions from... Ryan Weathers, Anthony Bender, Sixto Sanchez is in this bullpen who feels like he's been like a rookie prospect for a decade now. Uh, Super huge coming into spring training. That was interesting to see. But uh, this bullpen looks, again, like they're going to be solid. And I I just, I like this team. I, I feel like I just am buying into the upside of the offense a little bit. I think... I don't know. I They should sign J.D. Martinez to hit in the DH spot. He did say no to the Giants, so maybe he'd say no to the Marlins. But that would really like just kind of cement this team's floor as a wild card team for me if they had a solid DH option. Because uh, I like the upside in the other positions. I think it's well-balanced at the top of the order. I love this pitching staff. I love the back of the bullpen. Big question in the X-Factor. Like, can Jazz Chisholm play a full, healthy season and... I think if he plays a full healthy season, even at the same slightly above average output as he did last year, I think that's a success because he just hasn't been healthy. And you take what you can get after that. Uh, and then if, yeah, again, if they hang in there, do they buy at the deadline again? Uh, be super intrigued to see what happens with that. But I, I like this Marlins team. Let's go to the over-under. Over-under, 78 and a half. I'm going over. I'm going over 78 and a half. I'm not going to think about it too much. Going over 78.5 for the Miami Marlins. And let's move on to the new the new team. They're not the new team. They're the New York Mets. The New York Metropolitans. What did they do last year? Well, they spent a bunch of money, got a new owner who just tried to make them competitive as quickly as possible with their current roster. That was already expensive. Uh, a lot of memes were had on the 350 whatever million dollar roster that went 75 and 87. That's not good. Uh, but there were clear problems with this team going into the year that I didn't think would manifest themselves quite as hard as they did, particularly just the old pitching staff really, really did them in uh, and some regression on some of their hitters as well. And some underwhelming performances from some of their rookie hitters, and their Pythag was 80 and 82, so merely they were just kind of a mid-team. They never looked super serious the whole year, uh, but they had 
a very busy offseason. I think they're going to be better this year than they were last year, but maybe not by much. And I think they could be worse. I think there's still issues with this team that were somewhat addressed and papered over. The rotation got a little bit younger, but I still got some some problems with it. Uh, but Pakota thinks they're going to go 83 and 79, and Fangraphs thinks they're going 81 and 81. 30% playoff odds from Fangraphs and around 45% from Pakota. So Pakota is trending up and thinks this team might make the playoffs. And our wild cards just, I think it's just going to be a, a shootout like it was last year. It, it was a mess last year. It, it might be again this year a mess between 84, 85 win teams. A couple, probably three potentially from this division that might be in that, that race. But... What did they do? They had a pretty active offseason. They made a couple trades that weren't super... I don't need to talk about them. They weren't super groundbreaking, but they signed a lot of free agents. They also lost a few guys. They lost uh, Trevor Gott, Luis Guillorme, Daniel Vogelbach, Carlos Carrasco, who was... God, he was awful last year. Uh, a few other guys that weren't super integral to the team. And then they signed a few guys, and I actually do in general, like the signings that they made. I think they didn't pour a bunch of money into any of the big guys, although they could. They certainly still could. The offseason is not over, so I should probably I should say that. Uh, but they signed a lot of guys that I think help raise the floor of this team. I don't know how much they do for the overall ceiling, but I think the floor has been raised with some of the signings and they did. Some of them were literally just because they had to replace guys who left, particularly uh, in the bullpen and in the pitching staff. But let's get into it. Who, who did they actually sign and what does it mean for the team? So they signed two pitchers to replace two pitchers. They had to trade away midseason last year. If you remember if you know who these guys are, their names are Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer, both older men uh, who both got traded to the AL West last year, much to the chagrin of Mariners fans everywhere. Uh, but they were they were not going to be in it. They kind of just had to get some. They had to get something out of those guys, and they did to their to their credit. They got a couple interesting prospects from those trades, but uh, ultimately a failure just to have such an interesting rotation on paper last year going into the year and it fails, but they signed Sean Manaya and Luis Severino essentially just to take their places. Uh, Severino, I think is a one year deal and Sean Manaya, uh, let me find it. But off the top of my head, it was like a three year deal. And it was two years, 28 million, which I like. And Sevy was one year, 13 million. I think I'll get into why I think the Severino signing is super important potentially to this team, but I like Sean Manaya signing. I think Sean Manaya is a floor raiser. I don't think he is going to move mountains here, uh, but I do think he is just a solid pitcher that is will be good to have in the middle of a rotation. He might be pitching at the top of this rotation, which I'm not a huge fan of, but that's who they signed to replace those pitchers. And then the other couple signings, they signed Adam Adovino, they re-signed him, uh, Jake Diekman, Shantaro Fujinami, Jorge Lopez, Austin Adams, all to their bullpen just to kind of fill the bullpen with viable major league arms to hopefully complement a return 
of one Edwin Diaz, who didn't pitch at all last year, thanks to the injury he sustained in the WBC. And the other big-ish money signing, I think it was like $10 million, was Harrison Bader, who I just really like this signing for uh, one reason, is because you know he's going to play really good center field defense. That, again, a floor raiser, especially when considering it shifts Brandon Nimmo to basically full-time left field, where I think he will shine. I don't think he was ever really built uh, to be a really good center fielder. I think he definitely was fine in center field, but I think he's going to be a plus left fielder, which will only help his uh, his value to this team. And I think having a, a stable, really good uh, center fielder like defensively is super valuable. And so I, I did like that Harrison Bader signing, especially because it – it's like one year, ten million. It'll paper over till next year, and then they'll figure it out. But I like it. I like it just for this season. And then their lineup. Their lineup is projected as this: one through nine. Brandon Nimmo leading off from left field. Jeff McNeil at second base. Francisco Lindor at shortstop. Pete Alonso at first base. Starling Marte in right field. DJ Stewart at DH. Francisco Alvarez at catcher. Brett Beatty at third base and Harrison Bader in the nine hole at center field. I, this team is, are they the opposite of the Marlins? Not exactly, but they have different issues. I think the issue with this team is not really the lineup. I think this lineup is pretty solid, especially I think Nemo, Nemo, McNeil, Lindor, Alonzo, is a good four. After that, it does get a little dicey. Uh, but there's at least projectability onto Francisco Alvarez and Brett Beatty. Starling Marte, I think I'm ready to call it on Starling Marte. He had a really awful year last year. I don't know if he'll have a terrible year again this year, but he's not getting any younger. I think Starling Marte is like 36 years old. Really not an encouraging year last year. I think right field's a huge hole. And then right after him in the lineup, DJ Stewart at DH. I also am not what you'd call a DJ Stewart Stewart believer. I don't know how many DJ Stewart believers exist. Uh, He was, like, really good at the plate in a pretty small, like, is a two-month sample he was really good in the DH spot last year for the Mets, and I don't exactly know why. So maybe he'll really prove me wrong this year and come out and be a really good full-time DH, but I don't know. I'm not buying that. Uh, and then, yeah, Brett Beatty, I think a key question I have this year for this team is can Brett Beatty live up to the prospect hype at the plate? Really struggled last year at the plate. I think if – if this offense is really going to be where they want it to be, I think they're going to need Brett Beatty to uh, improve upon last year. And I'm not, I don't think, I'm not saying he can't. He's 24. He was a rookie. And then Francisco Alvarez showed from the catcher position last year that he is going to be a really solid defensive catcher uh, for this team for a while, probably. And I think there were enough flashes offensively that showed you his power and bat to ball skills that I think you can project him to be a better offensive player than he was last year. And in his full season last year, he had 25 home runs. Uh, He 
hit didn't hit for average, but that's fine. I'd like him maybe maybe just to be a little bit more selective. I mean, he's going to strike out a whole lot. I think he's just going to be a, a slugger catcher who's just going to hit home runs, probably strike out a decent amount. But I think there was just optimism seeing some of the home runs he hit last year. I mean, he can he can hit the ball really hard. And to go along with him being a pretty good catcher in terms of throwing guys out, he was pretty solid, but he was an absolutely elite framer last year, and I don't think that will stop. So I think that provides you a really good defensive floor, especially for a rookie. Uh, and that's the back half of the lineup. So it's it's shaky for sure. I think there's improvements to be made at right field and DH, and then you just hope Beatty and Alvarez can progress a little bit offensively this year to at least be average to above average compared to the average major leaguer because the group of, of Nimmo, McNeil, Lindor, and Alonzo above them is just a really solid group. I think Nimmo, his only problem since debuting has been health. When he's played, he's been one of the best outfielders in baseball. Uh, it's just that like he's been really healthy. The last two seasons, he's been super healthy, and his output has reflected that. Uh, and since debuting, he's just looked so solid at the plate. Just one of the more well-rounded hitters in the game. Uh, he's cut his strikeout rate recently. He's walks a ton, really good bat-to-ball skills, good amount of pop, and his problem has just been staying on the field. So also, I think playing in left and getting a little bit less running in center field, I think that's going to help his health moving forward. Uh, and you just, like, if he plays, he's going to be really good. He's constantly, like... He's never had, besides his rookie year, an under uh, a below average year at the plate. It's just all been about sample size and staying on the field. So I really like Brandon Nimmo. And then Jeff McNeil is, computers hate him. You can't project Jeff McNeil. It's like last year, underwhelming. Year before, really good. Last year, underwhelming. Year before, really good. The computers don't know what to do. He's a contact-oriented guy. Pretty bad bit reliant. So I think that makes sense that the computers can't really get it right. And since the trend this year, so the last four years, like I said, he was at the plate. I'm just going to read you his his WRC plus numbers. Uh, so 2018, 2019, 136, 144. Like uh, one of the better hitters, pure hitters in the game. Like low strikeout rate, uh, league average walk rate, whatever. You know Jeff McNeil. 2020 in the short season, 131 WRC plus. 2021, 91 WRC plus. 2022, 141 WRC plus. 2023, 100 WRC+. So if the trend continues, this is another good Jeff McNeil year at age 32. And then the two guys behind him, Lindor and Alonzo. I mean, I love Francisco Lindor. Since debuting, he has been one of my absolute favorite players in baseball, and he's just continued to be a staple of what a shortstop should be. And also a Terry on top is he's just like a face of baseball type guy. He smiles, everything he does. He's just an awesome dude and just such a well-rounded baseball player offensively and defensively has just been a joy to watch. And is again, maybe the most stable option right now at shortstop in baseball uh, on both sides of the ball. And then Pete Alonzo, we know what Pete Alonzo is, man. He's just been, one of the best power hitters for years now. Stable first baseman option for this Mets team. One of my big questions, though, 
since he's in the last year of his contract. A lot of trade talk last year, some trade buzz this offseason. He's still on the team. If they're sellers at the deadline, I you'd think they have to sell Pete Alonzo. You'd think they have to, and you know, a team like the Mariners might be calling. But I think that's a big question. Is Pete Alonzo on this team after the trade deadline passes? I don't know. So that's their offense with like they signed Joey Wendell, utility guy for the bench. They traded for Tyrone Taylor outfielder will provide good defense mark vientos like third base first base dh uh with some upside he's one where he could fill the dh role potentially if he just really explodes and, and develops really well this year uh, and then omar nervias is a backup catcher with a pretty solid option so i think the offense is fine i think the offense is good uh i think it's going to be serviceable this year i think they should try to address right field and, and dh but whatever and then we get to the pitching staff Boy, Kodai Senga was awesome last year. The Cy Young level pitcher, amazing to watch. The ghost fork is electric. He has a shoulder injury right now. And so I have him on my cheat sheet as maybe Kodai Senga as they're in in the opening day rotation. It's a strained shoulder, so like I don't know if this is going to morph into a worse injury or not. But with him at the top of the rotation, it's still kind of a weak rotation. And with him out, the rotation goes Jose Quintana, Luis Severino, Sean Manaya, Adrian Hauser, and Tyler McGill. Adrian Hauser and Tyler McGill don't do anything for me. I think they're fine uh, fourth and fifth options on a team if the stars above them are a little bit better than the ones I read. Like I feel like all five of these guys are back of the rotation starters for better teams with better pitching. Like Jose Quintana is your opening day starter. Yeah, that's that's just not good, man. In 2024, no less. I mentioned Luis Severino. I talked about Shamanaya earlier. I mentioned Luis Severino. He is my X factor for this team. Because they signed him to a one year, I guess you could say it's a prove it type of year. He's the X factor because if he he's struggled mightily with injuries after his two best seasons in 2017 and 2018 with the Yankees where he was a Cy Young type of pitcher, amazing production, super durable. Since then he's really struggled with injuries. And when he's pitched, it's been okay. When he pitched in 2022 for about half the year for the Yanks, he was really good. Again, when he pitched last year for around like 90 innings, he was awful. He was genuinely terrible to watch pitch. And so I don't exactly know what to expect from him going into this year. Fangrass is projecting him for a roughly league average season and around 140 innings pitched. If he can be healthy and pitch 140 plus and skew closer to the 2022 production that he had, I don't know if he's ever going to reach the heights that he did years ago on the Yankees. But if he can... If he can be close to 2022 production with more innings, that could be super key for this team this year, especially if Kodai Senga comes back healthy and pitching like he did last year. Like that would be huge for this team. And I think if he doesn't, it's it's real bad. Then the rotation could get bad real quick because you look at the depth at the rotation too. I have big problems with like Joey Lucchese, who was really nice out of the bullpen last year, is probably another emergency starter along with David Peterson. I And then after that, it's like, I don't know, man. I don't know 
who starts uh, if guys go down. Uh, so hoping the Kodas Senga injury is... Oh, David Peterson. No, he's on the 60-day IL. Is he coming back? I don't know. Hopefully the Senga injury isn't too bad because that would be real bad. And then the bullpen, I think the bullpen's fine. Brooks Raley is a good relief pitcher. Adam Onofino is a good relief pitcher. Drew Smith, also fine. Shintaro Fujinami, super interesting. Was way better moving to the bullpen last year after being a starter come with the A's and then getting traded to the Orioles. Just tantalizing stuff. Just insane, insane stuff. Uh, struggle with command, but definitely, definitely fit to be a reliever. So... Huge upside there, I think. Uh, at least he'll be interesting. And then Edwin Diaz, he's back. That's another one of my big questions. What does Edwin Diaz look like post-injury? He missed all of last year. What does he look like? Does I mean, Fangraphs are projecting him for a 2.2 war season, 2.7 ERA. Like They're projecting him to be fully back to Edwin Diaz supremacy in the closer position, not probably close to the 2022 production because you don't really project that or the 2018 with the merit. Like you don't really project a season like that. Like that's an absurd season. Could he do it again? Maybe I'm just, I don't know what to, what to say about it because he could, we've seen what he's done. It's just missing a full year. I hope he's back with the same velocity uh, it's always more fun in baseball when Edwin Diaz is healthy and pitching. Uh, but I see, I see some bullpen depth issues, and like with any bullpen, the relievers I named that I think are fine could absolutely fall off a cliff and die this year. That's again, that's always an option, uh, especially looking at the age of these relievers. Like Brooks Raley is like thirty-five. I think Adam Ovino is almost forty. Drew Smith is thirty. Jake Diekman is thirty. Seven Jorge Lopez is old. Chintaro Fujinami is not a spring chicken. He's a rookie in OMB last year, but he's like 30. I I see problems with this pitching staff, especially if Kodai Senga is going to miss significant time with a shoulder injury. And just looking at this over-under at 82.5, that is a very easy under for me. Honestly, that's a pretty easy under. I don't see this team winning more than 82 and a half. Uh, and that's that for the Mets. Another thing that sucks, Ronnie Maurizio, 2022 Lydom MVP, I will note. He's out for the whole year. Uh, he tore his ACL playing in Lydom, I think, this year in January. Uh, and so he's out for the whole year, which really sucks because he's one of those guys that can hit the absolute piss out of the baseball. He hit one like 118 miles an hour last year or something stupid like that. He's going to miss the whole year and he would have been an, an interesting infield slash DH option uh, for this team too. So that, that hurts in terms of uh, just a, a young player who you'd want to see have some time to develop he's just not going to have it this year so that that stinks uh but i am closing the curtain on these mets i'm going under 82 and a half and we'll move on to the philadelphia phillies the fight and fails the philadelphia phillies had a 2023 record of 90 and 72 and a pythagorean of 89 73 so they hit it almost right on there uh good team 
good team. Good baseball team right here. Very interesting team, but a solid one. Very fun to watch. Notably, they live and die by being electric in the playoffs. They were amazing against the Marlins and then flamed out in the next round. And going into this year, not much has changed. Not much at all, really. I think they project again to be a good team, but modest projections for this team, which which just makes sense given like how they're kind of built um, around so much offense, you know. Uh, but Pakoda and Fangraphs, another consensus here of 85 and 77, uh, both around 57% playoff odds as well for this team. So I think they're healthily projecting them to be a wildcard team in the mid-80s win total. And what did they do in free agency? Well, they recently picked up Whit Merrifield, which I think is a really good signing. Waited a long time, got him just as a, as a utility guy. I think super useful, especially he's not going to be made to start at all, at least heading into the season. He's going to be full-time utility going into the year. I think that's his best position at this stage of his career. They signed two starting pitchers, Spencer Turnbull and Colby Allard, who will be depth pieces, who I think are needed for being a good team in the long run like they, they want to be this year. And then they brought back Aaron Nola almost immediately into the offseason. It was one of the first signings that they – that maybe the first big signing of the offseason. They brought him back. That's their guy, $150 million salary, or $172 over seven years. Uh, point is, they brought back their guy who was so good in the playoffs for them last year. And they basically brought back most of their uh, their team. They lost Reese Hoskins to free agency, although he was hurt already. So I th- we knew he was going to be gone. They lost Craig Kimbrell and Corey Knable out of their bullpen and Michael Lorenzen, who was uh, they traded for at the deadline from the Tigers last year. And then they also lost Josh Harrison to free agency, who, I mean, I don't think he played a whole lot for them last year. And just getting in straight away to their their offense or projected lineup, one through nine, Kyle Schwarber, the most unique leadoff hitter in baseball at the DH spot, Trey Turner at shortstop, Bryce Harper at first base, Nick Castellanos in the four hole in right field, Alec Bohm at third base, Bryson Stott at second base, JT Real Muto at catcher, and Brandon Marsh in left field with Johan Rojas in center. And it's an interesting interesting lineup it's familiar we've seen at least the big hitters in this lineup on this team for a while now a couple changes with Johan Rojas scooting out there center field projecting on the opening day lineup with Brandon Marsh in left field and the rest of this team really was very similar last year I think you saw pretty solid seasons from a couple younger fellas and Alec Bohm and Bryson Stott last year who I think it's perfect that this offense doesn't ask a whole lot out of these guys. Um, they can sit in the six, seven, eight spots of this lineup and just be good at what they at what they do. Uh, Alec Bohm having his best uh, offensive season as a big leaguer last year uh, really showed that he is just uh, he's one of those guys who doesn't strike out much and he walks a decent amount and he has some pop. And he plays a not amazing third base, but it's the Phillies. They don't care about defense. And then Bryson Stott at second baseman, who had a really good year last year. He played really nice defense at second base, similar to Alec Bohm in that he doesn't strike out 
uh, a whole lot, and he walks around league average. He doesn't quite have an, as much pop. He really is kind of the second baseman version at the plate of Alec Bohm. He's similar in K percentage, walk percentage, uh, but doesn't hit for as much power. But he's really fast. He stole 31 bases last year. Really good defense. Really solid season for, for the Phillies last year. Really like Bryson Stott. And then the cream of the crop of this offense, Schwarber, Turner, Harper, Castellanos, one through four, those are big boppers, like Kyle Schwarber, on-base dinger machine at the leadoff. And Bryce Harper, we're going to see him, hopefully, a full season at first base. After his injury, he played first base last year, was awesome there, just fit right in to first base after coming back from his... uh, his injury and was pretty much uh, Bryce Harper at the plate. He had a 142 WRC plus in 126 games. That's pretty, pretty Bryce Harper like, and I'm, we can just kind of expect that again this year. He is only 31 years old, which is absurd uh, to think about because I remember the Bryce Harper sports illustrated cover from when I was, Oh man, I must have been in elementary school at that point. And then Nick Castellanos right behind him, who we know who Nick Castellanos is. I mean, he can hit really well, not play great defense, and is a very interesting fellow who points at his son every time he hits a home run. Like, I mean, Nick Castellanos doesn't hide who he is. I saved Trey, I saved Trey Turner for last to talk about in this lineup because, as you probably know if you followed baseball last year, super interesting year for Trey Turner. Really Really bad uh, to start the year. Really not, not a good opening half of a season. First year of that three hundred million dollar contract for in front of the most vicious fan base in baseball, and he was pretty awful at the plate. And then they cheered for him one day, and all of a sudden, he's one of the best hitters in baseball over the second half of the year. He was a man alive in the second half. His first half numbers, 88 games. He had a 687 OPS. And in the second half, in 67 games... He had a 902 OPS, 16 home runs in that span. Just ridiculously important for this team down the stretch as they were vying for the playoffs again. They ended up winning 90 games, a large part due to Trey Turner coming into his own and Bryce Harper just being Bryce Harper after missing the first like two months of the year. And I don't want to get too hung up on this offense. This is a good offense, and the back half of it, uh, Brandon Marsh and Johan Rojas, I just don't, I mean, he was, Johan Rojas was fine at the plate last year in his small sample. I think he offers good center field defense. Brandon Marsh started the year crazy hot last year at the plate um, and finished with what was a really, really good uh, season, not something that we I don't think anyone really expected out of Brandon Marsh. I mean, he was he's scorching hot, and then he kind of just continued being a good hitter the rest of the year. I don't know exactly what to expect from him this season. Fangraphs is expecting him to kind of fall back to earth at the plate, but I think he's going to be good uh, defensively uh, on the base path, and he's the wettest guy in baseball, so there's that. 
And then this leads me to the last guy in this offense before I talk about the pitching, my X factor, JT Real Muto. JT Real Muto is my X factor for the Philadelphia Phillies. Why? Because he was uncharacteristically not JT Real Muto like last year, if that makes any sense to you. He really didn't have a great year. And I think he's the X factor because if he is more the JT Real Muto that we know and we love of years past, this team won 90 games last year. If I feel like they would have won 95 if it was a vintage Real Muto year. I mean, he was just really meh at the plate. Uh, just looking at his his numbers, I have his numbers in front of me. He struck out more. He walked less. He hit for less power. Uh, and that is alarming enough. But what was also real bad is his framing fell off a cliff last year. He has consistently been one of the best catchers, maybe the best catcher in Major League Baseball for five, six years now. Both sides of the both sides of the ball. Solid hitter, but just insanely good blocking catcher, the best catcher in baseball in terms of pop time and throwing guys out at second, stealing, and has been an elite framer for a while. And just to give you some context, these are his framing runs from 2019 on. 25 or 21, 5, 7, 13, and then this season negative 9 just framing off of a cliff. And so if he can get back to being a really good pitch framer and maybe cut the strikeouts this year, I hope that's not a trend uh, of his strikeouts rising and his walks falling. Cause it kind of looks like it could be, um, he is like 33. I mean, a lot of miles on him, especially like he's a catcher. That's even more laborsome. I'm a little worried if I'm being honest, I'm a little worried about JT real Muto, this season, which is why I think is the X factor. If he kind of bounces back, that could be good. I think what's what might be key here is the framing. I don't really know what happened. I don't know how you go from an elite framer to negative nine framing runs in a year. I genuinely don't exactly understand what happened. Uh, and I, so, so I think it's kind of huge for not only him and the lineup to kind of pick it up offensively, but he's the X factor because if he is another bad framing pitcher, that's just like kind of not ideal. He's still going to throw guys out. That's still not an issue. But if he gets back to being an elite framer, that really picks up the the pitching staff in a big way. So that's why I think he's the X factor of the team. But that's the lineup. I don't think there are any concerns on this lineup being good again this year. Uh, they'll be fun to watch. And moving on to the pitching staff. A pitching staff, an interesting pitching staff, uh, really good at the top. Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, Ranger Suarez, your top three. Uh, between Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler, those are two elite pitchers. Ranger Suarez has just been really good for the past few years, really solid, stable number three. And then Tywan Walker and Christopher Sanchez. Tywan Walker has been a, another, he's been fairly stable. Uh, and just uh, as a four or five starter in your rotation at this point, I think that's fine. He really is such a different pitcher than he was so much so long ago. He has become a predominantly splitter 
splitter cutter pitcher, which has really helped him induce a lot of soft contact. He doesn't strike out as many guys anymore, but a lot softer contact uh, and better output from him. And then Christopher Sanchez, who had a very nice, excuse me, very nice season last year. I don't think he was technically a rookie. I think it was his second year service time-wise, but put together nice output in about half a season of pitching. Uh, so I can assume if he, if he even does that again as your five pitcher, that's perfectly fine. I'm like very okay with this starting starting rotation. I think bringing back Nola was huge, and I think you have Spencer Turnable and Colby Allard as your backup arms that they signed this year, which is like fine. I think those guys can pitch innings. Uh, I think they could have more like Mick Abel, I guess, might – be another backup arm for them this year. And yeah, I, I don't have a lot of concerns for this for this pitching staff, although one of my big questions is can Nola Aaron Nola rebound off of he didn't have a he didn't have a bad year last year. I will just preface with saying he had a good year. He had a perfectly good year. It was just not an Aaron Nola type of year. He did the thing where he pitched almost 200 innings. Again, been probably him and Garrett Cole, the most durable pitchers in baseball for a long time now. Uh, but just his 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 numbers weren't as good. I mean, you had a 4.46 ERA, uh, 3.77 expected ERA, 4.03 FIP. So uh, maybe some batted ball luck. He gave up a lot of home runs last year, which... Uh, is maybe a little fluky. I don't know if you really go from 0.8 home runs per nine to one and a half without it being a little bit of a fluke, but he was walking guys a little bit more this year, allowing more base runners. Uh, So I feel like he'll still be durable, but if he can get back to closer to his output last year or I, I think it's he's still going to be a valuable pitcher, but can he bounce back after a somewhat underwhelming year? I mean, he's still a 3.9 F war, like for Christ's sake, but I'm just nitpicking here. That was another question. Because uh, if it's like, if it's if he pitches like 2022 Nola with Zach Wheeler right next to him and the back of that, the back three of that rotation is like a pretty solid group, that's it'd be a really well-rounded team. Uh, which is something you wouldn't hear me say of the Phillies one to two years ago. Then you get into the bullpen, uh, brought back a lot of the same guys. They traded for Gregory Soto last year. He's going to be in the bullpen for a full season for them this year. Really solid relief pitcher. Jeff Hoffman, same thing. Will likely throw a lot of innings for them this year. Was great for them last year. And then their closer, Jose Alvarado, who is awesome to watch, just Really electric, electric closer. Really, really nice stuff. Really good couple years for the Phillies. Uh, hopefully, we'll continue to have a good year. Um, yeah, him, Jeff Hoffman. Jeff Hoffman was so good last year. I don't know how many of you know who Jeff Hoffman is, but boy, he was he was nice last year. Like him, Soto, and Alvarado as your back of the bullpen battery. Really nice, and then to compliment. Sir Anthony Dominguez, who had a little bit worse year last year than the year before, but he's a reliever, volatile. And then you have Matt Strom, who I guess is your is your swing man type, who is 
going to be again probably a super valuable member of this of this uh, bullpen as a emergency starting pitcher slash swingman. Like he's a, he's a swingman. He he can start. He can relief long relief. Really valuable to this team and and uh, really really good pitch. Really good pitch last year. No, really good pitching year last year. And then the only other. Uh, Relief pitcher I really want to talk about here is Orion Kirkering, who came up last season, got a a little taste of Major League Ball. He threw three innings, uh, but you saw why he's a really highly touted reliever. He has a good fastball. He throws it really hard, like 99 miles an hour, but his slider is... How do I describe it? His slider, should I say Matt Brash-esque to compare it to one of the best sliders in today's game? I will. It's Matt Brash-esque. It's like an 80-grade slider. It is a nasty, nasty pitch, and I would right now, if you haven't seen it, I'd go look it up. It looks disgusting, and so I'm really excited to watch Ryan Kirkering in the bullpen this year. Uh, That's just an addition from the farm from last year that I think will only help. I really like this team. I really, really like this Phillies team. I feel like the pitching this year is going to be better than it has been the past two years. I think the 85 and 77 projections from these computers is low. I'm trying to figure out why. I think it's just factoring in some regression from like Castellanos and even Romuto, some more regression. And I don't think it loves their their other outfielders, Brandon Marsh and Johan Rojas. I think it... It wants some regression. It doesn't want it. It's projecting Brandon Marsh to not have as good of a year. I and like depth wise, their bench is is okay. Uh, I just feel like it's also the Phillies and a Dave Dombrowski team. So if they need to add a outfielder or a bat at the deadline, they likely will, and there could be some available. So I wouldn't put it past them. Uh, I'd li- I like I like this team. I like this team a lot. What is their over-under? It's 90 and a half. Ah, oh, jeez. It's 90 and a half? Oh, that sucks. I was looking at the projections, like if it's 87 and a half or something, I'm smashing the over, but 90 and a half. I got to think about it a little bit more. Oh, God. Um, um, 90 and a half. 90 and a half. I just talked about how much I really like them. I'm going to go over. I'm going to go over 90 and a half. That is... I'm not. I'm not 100% confident in that. I do. I do really like this team. Uh, no, I'm gonna go over. I'm gonna go over. I'm gonna stick with it. over nine and a half, and we'll move on to the projected number one team in baseball in this division, the Atlanta Braves. And honestly, I don't think I'm gonna talk about this team too much. It's the Braves. Uh, they won 104 games last year. Their Pythagorean was 10161. So that's absurd. Uh, they're projected by Pakoda, uh, 161 this year. Fangraphs has them a little bit more modestly, 98 and 63. 99% playoff odds from both of those systems, just about uh, for good reason. And like, what did they do this offseason? They they had a really interesting offseason, though. That's what I will say. I don't think I'm going to get too hung up on their lineup um, because I mean, listen, y'all know their lineup. It's uh, stupid good, uh, but. Off-season-wise, what they did in free agency was was not as interesting as what they did in the trade market. Uh, but free agency, they lost Kirby Yates, uh, Colby Allard, Michael Tonkin, Kevin Pillar, Jesse Chavez, Brad Hand, Eddie Rosario, 
And then who did they get in free agency? Three relief pitchers, Reynaldo Lopez, Joe Jimenez, and Pierce Johnson. All really good signings, in my opinion. I think that uh, absolutely shores up their bullpen for this year. Uh, And they also talked about, with some back-of-the-rotation questions, they talked about when they signed Reynaldo Lopez, they might try to stretch him out into a starter. So that's a potentially starter signing. But trade-wise, good lord, they were active. This is the most active trade team I had to write about in my little Excel spreadsheet this year. They traded for Aaron Bummer, another relief pitcher who, again, it makes this bullpen look absolutely disgusting. Uh, They traded for Aaron Bummer, who's been one of the better lefty relief pitchers in baseball the past few years. They traded uh, about six players to the White Sox for him. Not going to get hung up on who. They traded four and away a few different players. They traded for Jackson Coar from the Royals. They traded Jackson Coar and Cole Phillips to the Mariners for Marco Gonzalez, Evan White, and Jared Kelnick. They traded Evan, or yeah, they traded Evan White and Tyler Thomas to the Angels for Max Stassi and David Fletcher. They then traded Max Stassi to the White Sox. They traded Marco Gonzalez to the Pirates. They traded Drew Campbell to the Padres for Ray Kerr and Matt Carpenter. And then I think they cut Matt Carpenter. They traded Tyler Owens to the Rangers for J.P. Martinez. And then I I guess the biggest trade besides that one Mariners one with Kelnick uh, is Vaughn Grissom to the Red Sox for Chris Sale. Uh, I thought Vaughn Grissom was the shortstop of the future for this team, but I guess they thought against that. I think they're just okay with Orlando Arcia being their shortstop, despite what he might say in the locker room that Jake Mintz accurately reports on and people get mad about. Uh, But they get Chris Sale. Uh, But that was all their trades. Like, good Lord, they made so many trades. And just kind of bizarre. They took on a lot of money. They shipped a lot of money out. They did a lot of mixing and matching with, like, AAA kind of 40-man-ish roster guys uh, to arrive at Still the the best roster in baseball. I'll read you their lineup, one through nine. Ronald Acuna Jr. at right field. Ozzy Albies at second base. Austin Riley at third base. Matt Olson at first base. Marcelo Zuna at DH. Michael Harris at center field. Sean Murphy at catcher. Jared Kelnick in left field. And Orlando Arcia at shortstop. And my God, Ronald Acuna Jr. is projected for 7.4 F war. That is insane. Genuinely. It's not, I'm not saying it's wrong. That's just to see a projection for that much is uh, crazy, but it makes sense. He won MVP last year. He had a 40 70 season, which is something we've never seen before and was one of the most fun seasons of baseball I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, There were questions of how healthy he'd be last year on top of what he'd be production wise. And boy, did he blow everything out of the water? He cut his strikeout rate in half. He hit for more power. He stole more, he stole more bases. He walked slightly more. He was just a force 170 WRC plus 8.3 war 41 stolen bases or 41 home runs, 73 stolen bases nearly 150 runs, 106 RBIs, just a crazy year from Acuna. And I'm sure he'll do something similar this year. He's projected to put up a 40-50 season this year. Projected. Projections are are often modest. 
ugh, and then Ozzy Albies, Austin Riley, Matt Olson, Sean Murphy, Michael Harris, all guys who are some of the best, if not the best players at that position in baseball. I don't even want to talk about them in detail, really. Matt Olson hit nearly 60 home runs last year. Just an awesome guy to watch wallop home runs. I think wallop is the right term I'd use for his, his swing. Uh, it's like Fred Flintstone swinging his, uh, his club. I think it's similar to Kyle Tucker. It's just like a big sweeping swing. It's awesome to watch. Can he hit 60 home runs this year? I don't know. He got kind of close last year. Uh, Michael Harris is great. Sean Murphy is great. Austin Riley is great. Ozzy Albies is great. And Ozzy Albies is getting paid minimum wage to be an elite second baseman. Ronald Acuna, too, also kind of getting paid minimum wage to be the best player in baseball. Uh, and then, like, the kind of question marks, like Marcelo Zuna, I guess, at DH is somewhat of, like, I don't know, is he is he going to be still good? He's, he's aging. He was still, he was really good at the plate last year. I feel like he doesn't produce quite as much this year, but I think he's still probably easily going to be an above average hitter. Orlando Arcia is kind of a, a question mark. I mean, he's really, really, he had a really good defensive year last year. He looked really solid at shortstop. So I feel like they'll take that with modest offensive production. And then I guess the biggest question mark here is left field where Jared Kelnick seems poised to have that opening day left field spot with probably forced wall and Marcel Zuna getting some time there, but Jared Kelnick opportunity for him. Uh, I think it's, I think this is a better spot for him than the Mariners. Uh, he's spoken a lot about how he's happy to be there. And I, th- I think it's just huge for him that he's hitting eighth uh, in this order of insane offensive players. If he's even league average, that will be fine for them. If he's better than league average, that's best case. Uh, there's going to be no pressure on him at all to be a really good player. And I think they clearly have a good production system going on down there with hitters. And I think, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, again, you you know this about me. I'm not super high on Jared Kelnick, but... I guess he's their biggest offensive question mark, and uh, I don't have much more to say about this offense. It's insane. Travis Darno has been the best backup catcher in baseball for a few years now. He's just he's been great. Um, and yeah, yeah. Moving on, moving on to the rotation where there could be question marks. Spencer Strider, uh, a Cy Young favorite, had a some some batted ball luck go against him last year gave up decent amount of home runs but had 800 strikeouts and is amazing to watch max freed we might get to see a full max freed season this year and he was really good when he came back last year from injury looks like classic max freed uh so that, that one too is one of the better ones in baseball and then my my x factor is the back of this rotation it's charlie morton chris sale and bryce elder and for a couple of different reasons, that is my X factor. Uh, I don't really think this team has much of an X factor. I don't. The floor is so high. I don't really see a whole lot of variables influencing uh, the outcomes on this team. I guess. But the back of the rotation, I guess there are there are question marks. Um, on top of those those three guys I named, they have AJ Smith, Shaver, and Dylan Dodd, two young fellows ready to to pitch in the major league level for this team as depth arms. And I, I, we should probably expect to see them a little bit this year, but 
Charlie Morton is 40 years old. Can he continue being a good pitcher? He, It's been kind of crazy watching him go through his career and just age like a, like a fine wine, really, and have another really solid year for them last year. But he's 40, and that is something to consider when projecting his season this year. Uh, and then Bryce Elder, who had a really nice year last year, uh, as a as a rookie, I think he was technically a rookie, although he pitched in 2022. I am not super high on Bryce Elder. He had a very low ERA for a lot of the year. He pitched a lot. He's just not really a strikeout guy. He gets a lot of contact. He doesn't throw very hard. I don't like him that much, uh, pitching wise. I just don't. I don't see. I don't like a low strikeout, low velocity kind of control guy in this day and age, but as a fifth starter, okay. Uh, And then Chris Sale, I think, is the real wild card of this rotation because if Chris Sale, Chris Sale's problem has never been, uh, has never been being good or not on the mound. It's always been health with Chris Sale the past four years-ish. I don't, I don't think we're ever going to see vintage Chris Sale again. I feel like the ship has sailed on that, which is fair. I don't think we're ever going to see 220 innings of three flat ERA with 13 strikeouts per nine again. I don't think we're going to see that. But when he's pitched the past couple of years, he's been really good. When he pitched last year in 100 innings, he was good. He was a good pitcher. And so if he can, if they can manage to keep him healthy for a lot of the year, and he is also, he's 35, that would be huge for this rotation, just taking uh, – if he just ends up eating innings at a pretty good clip, like I think he probably can, and he's proven he can still pitch well if he's on the mound, that would be huge for them. Uh, and then getting into the bullpen, this bullpen is, is just so good. They shorted up amazingly this offseason. Uh, Ray Sal Iglesias and A.J. Minter carry over from the last couple of years with this team. Or, well, Ray Sal Iglesias, they got from the Angels in 2022 in a trade, but uh, he has been their closer. It's really good, really good closer, classic closer. AJ Minter from a Southpaw reliever, as good as you're, as good as you're gonna get. And then Ronaldo Lopez, Joe Jimenez, and Pierce Johnson, the the guys they all got in free agency, all are above average relief pitchers. Uh, Tyler Matzik, Aaron Bummer, and Jackson Steffens Stevens as their uh, other three projected opening day relief pitchers uh, all seem perfectly adequate, and there won't be a whole lot of high leverage for those guys. Maybe Aaron Bummer, but they have so many other good relief options. I don't see them really being hoisted into high leverage and really i'm kind of done talking about this team it's disgusting it really is uh it's gonna be a really good team again their over under is 101 and a half and i'm gonna take the over on that i'm gonna take the over this team is crazy good i'm excited to watch them again strider and acuna as your two best players basically is just as electric as you can get and yeah that's that for the NL East in this division. Uh, I have the Braves going over 101.5, the Phillies going over 90.5, the Marlins going over 78.5, the Mets going under 82.5, and the Nationals going under 66.5. And that is my division order. 
Nationals in fifth, Mets in fourth, Marlins in third, Phillies in second, and Braves in first. That is the NL East. The AL West preview is coming on Friday. And have a good week in the meantime and prepare to hear me talk about how the Oakland A's will surprise us all in 2024. Thanks for listening.